This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We start with a program note. Doug Ford is going to be here in about half an hour to talk about his new book, so stay tuned for that. But first, we are talking about your health and your medical care. A new report from the Fraser Institute says patients are waiting for medical care longer than they ever have here in Canada. The study's called Waiting Your Turn, Wait Times for Healthcare in Canada, and it says that on average, we are waiting about 20 weeks to receive treatment from a specialist, and that is 20 weeks from the time that you are referred by your family doctor to the time you get the treatment that's medically necessary. Of course, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And right now, in the meantime, we are going to ER physician, Dr. Brett Belchitz. Hi, Dr. Belchitz. Hi there. Uh, So first of all, what is your reaction to this report? Well, it's a mix of surprise and not surprise. And the not surprise part of it is that I'm not surprised that our wait times are this long. Uh, This goes with every study that we've seen over the last few years that has shown that we have very, very, very poor performance in Canada with regard to wait times for primary and specialist care. Uh, the part of this report that I'm not surprised at is I actually would have expected the numbers to be worse than they are. So when we look at this report, we're seeing a median time from the referral from a family doctor to seeing a specialist of about 10 weeks. And then they're saying it's about 10 weeks from that time of seeing the specialist to actually getting a needed treatment. And so I can tell you in my experience, and this is just one physician working on the front lines, that I routinely see patients who are waiting six months or more just to see a specialist. And then those people that do see a specialist, those people that are looking for procedures like joint replacements, neurosurgical procedures, often I see those people waiting up to a year after seeing the specialist. Sometimes their diagnosis is delayed because they need an MRI and they can wait three to six months just to get the MRI. So when I see 20 weeks from the time of seeing a family physician all the way through to actually seeing a, to, to getting treatment in the end, I actually say that's better than I would have expected. Um, that being said, overall, uh, the thing that comes out of this is what's really important is we can look at these numbers uh, in isolation and say they're poor, but you really start to see how bad they are when we look at two comparators. So number one, we should look at how do these numbers compare to what we've done historically and how do these numbers compare to what other countries are managing to achieve? So first of all, this particular study that's done by the Fraser Institute, it's been happening for about 23 years. So it was first done in 1993. And what I've noted is that these times have doubled in the 23-year period since the study was first done. So in 1993, the mean time from seeing a family doctor to getting treatment was only 10 weeks. So our wait times have doubled. Which and is and is, is that just a factor of uh, increased population, increase in aging population with chronic conditions, or is there more to it than that, in your opinion? Well, I think there's many factors at play here. I, you know, I think that 
we have a population that's certainly growing. We have a population that's certainly getting older. We certainly have more procedures that are more complex that are out there to be done. Uh, additionally, I, I, we have major funding challenges that maybe didn't exist 23 years ago. So we're seeing governments across this country finding that they're running out of money sooner. And we also have issues with regard to the utilization of healthcare services, where when we look at the rise in our use of the healthcare system, it's growing at multiples of the rise in our population. So in Ontario, where I work, I can tell you that our population grows by about 1% every year, but our rise in utilization of the system goes up by 3% every year. And there's no way that the government can ever keep up with that. And why Um, is that? Why is that? Well, that that would take a lot more time than we have today. There's a lot of factors at play, but you know, there's there's several factors. So, number one, we probably don't have the most efficient healthcare system in terms of guiding where people go for care. So, uh, you know, we have a huge problem in terms of access to primary care. You know, when we look at access to primary care here, fifteen um, percent of us don't have a family doctor. Fifty percent of us are waiting more than two days to see a family doctor when we're sick. One third of us uh, end up. Uh, waiting more than six days to see a family doctor when we're sick, which means that we have double the rate of emergency room use of almost every other developed country because people have nowhere else to go but the emergency room here. The other issues are that when we look at most other countries in the world, um, and I'm not talking about the United States, I'm talking about most European countries, uh, Australia, New Zealand, etc., they have some form of what's called a copay that's put in place, whereby when you go to see the doctor, uh, you don't get everything 100% for free. You're responsible for some percentage of the cost of going to see a doctor. And what they've found in those countries is when they've done that properly, where we say you pay a little bit, say, you know, 10 to 20% of the cost of your visit up to a certain maximum every year so that those with catastrophic illnesses are not bankrupted. So most countries that I've seen put that maximum at about $2,000 per year and usually tax deductible or refundable for people who are low income earners. What they find is when you put some amount of responsibility on people for using the system wisely and in the best possible manner, you see dramatic reductions and more efficient choices made in terms of how patients use the system. Whereas here, what we find is there is zero responsibility ever placed on patients for their use of the system, and they tend to use it. I have to tell you something else, that sometimes it's not the patient. I know that, just from my my own case, that there are lots of times when, uh, you know, a a physician or a healthcare practitioner is, is sending me to what I would consider to be an unnecessary appointment, partly mm-hmm. because maybe they don't want to answer an email or, or uh, you know, a quick call or something that that's quicker, and and it's it's the practitioner and and you know I've I, I've used the system a lot because I've been terribly ill, but I'm very conscious of trying to use the system responsibly, and and it it isn't always me the patient, it, it's the system itself. Well, again, you're you're speaking to some great points, and this is about the design of our system. So. There are many times where a visit isn't necessary, where a visit could be absolutely taken care of or substituted for with an email or a phone call. But, you know, unfortunately, um, in our system, physicians aren't allowed to bill the government when they speak to you on the phone or when they write you an email. So you've set up a system where physicians have a perverse incentive to see you when it might be much easier to email or call you. So, you know, we need to structurally change many things in our system, including how physicians are compensated and physicians are incentivized, because physicians should be incentivized to use the most efficient means of care, and they shouldn't have to worry that if they want to talk to you on the phone that that's a pro bono service that they have to do for free. Uh, You know, the end result, though, is that when we look at our stats, when we look at wait times to see a specialist here, uh, you know, only about 39% or so of Canadians are actually able to be seen 
within one month of being referred to a specialist. And when we compare that to what we're seeing in Europe, so the best performing countries in Europe that, that uh, have a far better structure for how their healthcare systems are set up. In those countries, 80% of patients are, are seen within one month. And similarly, in those systems, uh, when we look at the best performing metrics, only 3% of their patients are waiting more than two months to see a specialist. So, and, sorry, so again, what, is that because they have more specialists or, or how is it set up? What is it that makes that happen in other well, public systems? So this, so this is what's really important to note is that it's not the number of doctors and it's not the amount of money being spent. So we actually have, and this is what's heartbreaking about these types of stats, we have lots of doctors here but a lot of doctors can't find work. So when you look at the stat that came out today, uh, the longest specialty in terms of wait times was neurosurgery, where the wait time was about 46 weeks from the time wow, of Wow, yeah, that blew me bringing. away. Well, here's what's going to blow you away even more, and what's even more heartbreaking is I know dozens of neurosurgeons who can't get jobs. So I know neurosurgeons who've gone through seven years of training after medical school to be able to be a neurosurgeon, and they cannot get employment. And the reason they can't, cannot get employment is the system doesn't have any funding to pay for the operating rooms in the hospital space and the nursing care to actually support them performing those neurosurgical procedures. So in a time when nobody can access a neurosurgeon, we have neurosurgeons that are unemployed, which is extremely heartbreaking. So the difference that we see in a lot of the European countries is they have what we call hybrid models of healthcare. So, uh, you know, in Canada and the United States, we have very uh, polar opposite types of healthcare. So in Canada, we have uh, only public payer systems. So it's universal healthcare or nothing. There is no private healthcare system whatsoever. And in the United States, you basically have private healthcare and nothing else. There's no universal payer system. There's no public healthcare. And both of our systems fail miserably. So when you look at all the stats comparing wait times, quality of care, et cetera, the worst country in the in the world, usually in the developed world, is the United States. Exactly, and second, yeah, and the but, most but expensive. And the most expensive, but you know, the second most expensive and the second worst is Canada. We do horribly, and so when you look around the world, the, the systems that do very well, so all of these systems like Germany, Switzerland, Sweden, Australia, New Zealand, literally every other developed country out there have what are called hybrid systems. So they have a universal payer system, just like what we have, to make sure that everybody is given very good care, no matter what sort of financial means they come from. But they also have an element of private care, meaning that in a system like ours, where you have neurosurgeons who are unemployed, where the system can't afford to employ them, they can work privately, so that we don't have doctors sitting around not working when their services are badly needed. The other side of the equation is that what you usually see in those systems is that about 30% of people prefer to pay for their own care. People who say, you know, I don't want to be in the public system, I want to pay for it. And that takes a massive load off of their public health care system. You can imagine when our budgets, the billions of dollars that we spend on healthcare, uh, I think 40% of all Yeah, but doesn't that up. create a two-tier system where, where people with money will get better care? Uh, well, that, that's the supposition, and that's why we've never gone this, down this path, but the statistics don't actually bear this out. So when it's done properly the way that it's done in Europe, what you end up seeing is that everybody gets better care. So the people in the public systems in Europe are getting much better care than the people in the public system here. And what they end up finding is that when it's put in properly, you can very much ensure that the quality of care in the public and the private system is equal. And most of the time what they do in these systems is they put in place rules that any doctor that wants to work in the private system has to work a certain number of hours in the public system 
system first so that you're getting the same doctors working in both systems so that there isn't a flight of physicians from one system to the other. So, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of fear-mongering here in Canada because the only system we ever see with private care is the United States, which fails horribly, rather than looking to all of these systems that do it very well and very effectively, where everybody, whether they're in the private or the public system, is getting great care. We're ignoring all of those amazing examples of success that are in Europe, I think, because they're a little bit further away from us. Okay, now, uh, Brett, before we get to our calls, because we are going to get to them very, very shortly, uh, just uh, a couple of things. Uh, It varied. First of all, Ontario uh, had the shortest wait time, or just about the shortest wait time, which I guess is good news for us. And then when it was broken down by sector, I mean, one of the things I, as a former cancer patient, was relieved to see, the wait times for cancer treatment were not bad at all. So on point one, Ontario did have the best times. However, you know, best is a relative term here. You're still looking at about 16 weeks for Ontario, which is four months, which is still putting us as the worst performer compared to every other country in the developed world. So again, even our best province is not doing very well. But yes, the one area where we really excelled is cancer care. So, you know, I think that is one highlight here to say that for people with catastrophic illnesses like cancer that require rapid treatment, we're getting treated quickly is the absolute most critical thing to having a good, healthy outcome. We are doing okay there. But in other areas like neurosurgery, where a lot of the procedures that are required are vital and often life-saving, we have a 46-week delay. So very, very upsetting and very disturbing that patients requiring such important care are waiting almost a year to be treated. Okay. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for that. Uh, We're going to let you go, and we're going to hear from uh, some of the patients, and I'm sure that we will have plenty of opportunity to talk about this again. Thanks for your input. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to uh, Margaret in Rockwood. Hello, Margaret. Hi, Libby. How are you today? Fine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, I'm just frustrated because I had a skin condition that my family doctor was treating up until at the beginning of the year, since about March. And then in July, it wasn't getting any better. I had this rash that was just not getting better. And she tried various things. So then she referred me to a dermatologist on July the 8th. Right. I can't see the dermatologist until February the 14th. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I just find this is just intolerable. I, I know I don't have skin cancer, but if I had, I would be freaking out. Well, if, if as, as uh, uh, Dr. Belshitz just confirmed, the one bright spot is for, for very catastrophic illnesses like cancer, um, we do have a, a good treatment and quick access. But, but still, that's completely unacceptable. I mean, that's, it's crazy. Yes, it is. And, and funny enough now in the last, because I went to the doctor back and forth and she's been giving me different stuff. And funny enough, it has cleared up. And so when I go <laughs> in February, she's going to have nothing. I'm going to keep my appointment, of course. But when I go there, she's not going to see anything because the thing has practically gone. Well, uh, I would say that's great news. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's just, but it's just, I'm just so angry about this length of time that I've had to wait just for a skin appointment. Okay, well, I, I, I hear you and I totally understand. Thanks very much for your call. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to uh, Patricia in Font Hill. Hello, Patricia. Hello. Um, I, my complaint is the long waits for MRIs. Yep. Um, I had CAT scans that said that I had a 60% chance of having a cancerous thing. And so I waited the five months for the appointment. And then they accidentally um, scanned the, or 
imaged the wrong part. Oh, my goodness. Where was that? That was in St. Catharines. Oh. So I'm back to square one. So I would like to go to Buffalo to have um, an MRI, which I could have in one to three days, if the doctor would approve it and send the requisition. And the receptionist said, well, he doesn't do that. So I had told her I'm, I'm going to go one way or another. So here I sit wondering how I can get an appointment in Buffalo, which I have to pay for. But yeah, and you, you have to, ch- sometimes, you know, they don't, you know, uh, again, um, if, uh, you know, if, if there's a chance you have cancer, you should be getting that quicker. And um, you should be, I don't know, if, have you seen an oncologist? No, I haven't. I've seen a urologist. And and they can't get you, I mean, th- that's crazy. Um, I honestly don't know how you get an appointment in Buffalo. I think you just call up. But sometimes, you know, there are issues with imaging done elsewhere. So you've got to be careful about that because you you might spend whatever it costs to get that MRI and then they might look at it and say, no, we want one from here for whatever reason. So... Well, they'd have a hard time justifying that, I think. Um, that is, well, th- that is a much longer, even than the long wait times for an MRI. And, um, uh, you know, I would go back and uh, scream about that. I'm screaming. Okay, we hear you. Screaming. Thanks very much for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll get to more of your calls right now. Uh, I'd like to uh, bring into the conversation Wanda Morris uh, of CARP, our advocacy group, and uh, on the line from British Columbia, Bacchus Barua, one of the authors of the report. Welcome to you both. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Okay. Well, um, Bacchus, I don't know if you heard Dr. Belcher saying he was surprised that the numbers weren't even worse. Yeah, well, um, you know, we've actually um, worked, worked with Dr. Belchett before, and and it's um, it's uh, it's actually really good to. I, I didn't know he was going to be on the show, and it's really good to hear um, hear his thoughts on it. I think um, almost everything that he he said. Um, could be a summary of, of what I would have to uh, to add to the conversation. Um, we have to remember that you know even though our our report has often been criticized as um, as sometimes uh, inflating the numbers or, or anything or, or things like that, uh, there are many people who actually also criticize us for for actually saying that our numbers are not actually. Um, long enough um, with with regards to the experiences that they've seen, um, and I think it's it's fascinating for me because one of the things that we can't get away from is that using the same methodology across a 25-year period, um, what's clear is that it is double of what it was in 1993. Um, in, oh. You know, literally using the same survey in the same way, and I think that that's clearly indicative. Um, of what's happened over the last um, two decades. Okay, I'm going to bring Wanda into the conversation. Wanda? Sure, well, and I noticed that the way the numbers are reported, uh, we're talking about median data as opposed to... Oh, sorry, just a minute. Uh, Sorry. Okay, Wanda, please repeat that. (laughs) Sure. I noticed the way the numbers are reported that we're talking about uh, median data rather than average. So uh, while half of the people wait more than 20 weeks and half of them wait later, wait longer, the half that are waiting longer could be waiting significantly longer. Um, I know at at CARP recently this issue has come up. Uh, We were polling our members to find out where they wanted to focus our attention. And this is actually showing up as the number one most urgent 
urgent issue that need to reduce healthcare wait times. Uh huh. For any particular, like we saw that in this report, that it's very different for different specialties. I was uh, blown away by 46 weeks for neurosurgery. That doesn't sound like something that's optional if you need it. But I was also very gratified to see that if, if you need a, an oncologist or radiation uh, for cancer, uh, you get it pretty quickly. What we often hear about from our members, and of course this is just anecdotal, is the, the terrific long wait times for, for hip and knee replacements, yeah. the sort of orthopedic surgery, which is really tragic because if someone's waiting for it, not only are they uncomfortable and in pain, but their condition deteriorates. So the longer they wait, the harder their recovery is. And as we get older, uh, you know, it takes us longer to recover anyway. So this is just a, another uh, obstacle put in the place of, of trying to keep us healthy and engaged as we age. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have I have friends that, uh, you know, they disappear from the tennis court in the summer and it's going to be into next year when they get their whatever they need replaced. And I, I sometimes wonder about uh, about ageism here and whether there isn't um, a bit of, of shifting around to to perhaps um, triage younger people to shorter wait times and, and let retired folks wait. Uh, Bacchus, do you have anything to say about that? Well, you know, I, I think it's it's important to remember that um, you know triage is certainly important, and that's something that um, that we um, we need to keep and bear in mind. But one of the things that we need to also remember is that when we are forcing people to wait a significant amount of time for treatment, um, <clears throat> if it does actually affect their life, if they are in pain, if if they can't do their jobs properly. Um, what option are we actually giving them within the Canadian system? We really aren't giving them any other option other than having to go to a different country to receive treatment. Um, and I think we, we need to remember that it's, it's not always um, a benign inconvenience. There can and are often significant consequences to, to wait times, uh, including sometimes the issue where if you wait long enough, something that could be treatable in the past actually evolves into into a, a much more serious condition uh, because you just waited too long in order to get treated. Okay, um, we don't, we have, we basically almost have to go. So um, callers, uh, we didn't get to you. Um, Free for all Friday, we can hear from you then. Uh, this is a topic we're going to revisit. Um, Wanda, what would you like to leave us with? Um, both Dr. Belchetz and uh, Bacchus Barua seem to be advocating some kind of mixed system. Does CARP have a position on that? Well, I, I think we need to explore all opportunities. I mean, there are countries that run their operations rooms uh, 24 hours a day. If we have unemployed neurosurgeons, why don't we look at uh, filling all that capacity? Let's uh, be as creative as we possibly can to, to help people get the care that they so desperately need. Okay. Um, let us hope that because of reports like this, and Bacchus Barua, thank you very much, um, we will end up with better care and shorter wait times. And uh, I'm glad to see that CARP is on this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.